Good morning, Cornerstone. I'm Jonathan. I'm going to lead us in uh, today's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamelessly treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked, day and, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. God bless the reading of his word. Good. Still morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I want to step down if that's okay, because uh, I don't read so well. I need to be closer to my papers. My name is Paul, for you, you do not know me, and I'm always grateful for the opportunity to, is this okay, to preach the word to you, and thank Pastor Jeff for the opportunity, and you to bear with me, and uh, if time allows, uh, if I may do something a little bit different at the end, uh, I'd appreciate that your forbearance ahead of time, but uh, let's open in prayer as we look into God's word. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are an amazing God, a good God, the God who gives us good things because we are your children and you are a loving Heavenly Father. Thank you for this precious word you give to us 
which when we read it, when we contemplate it, we see Jesus and uh, how wonderful he is when we see him for who he is. So help us to do that today. Give us eyes to see, hearts to believe, and, um, and the faith to embrace God, this Jesus, the one whom you sent for us. Lord, bless your word, bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, that is. Pastor Paul last week gave us a very good introduction, so I'm not going to go too much into that at all, about the letter itself. All I'm going to say is that Paul did not spend much time in the city of Thessalonica, right? It says in Acts, he, he preached, he, he reasoned with the Jews there for three weeks, three Sabbaths, and uh, soon after that, he got forced out because the Jews in the city got jealous and caused a lot of trouble. And so what happened actually was the believers in Thessalonica had to sneak Paul and Silas out of the city at night so the Jews can't catch them. Right? You can just play this in your head. Like These missionaries are such dangerous work. They have to be snuck out of the city so that they won't be caught and jailed and, or worse. And um, so the short story short is Paul only spent a very short period of time there. Pastor Paul told us maybe a month or so. And, but when you read this letter, particularly in chapter 2, what you, I want you to sense what Paul is feeling. Uh, right? Feel the, the apostles' of, uh, feelings as you read it. And what you read is that there is uh, a deep affection Paul had for these believers. I'm um, just going to highlight a few verses for us. Okay. Whoa, small. My fault. <laughs> Last week we read 1-2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 2-7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 2-8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Right. Do, you, do you feel it? Do you sense it? Like the, the, the Paul's deep affection for these Thessalonians, whom he just met maybe a month, two months ago, whom only for a month of time. It's amazing how deeply Paul feels for these Christians. And I dare you to use these words with other people. Right. I, being, I'm, being, I'm affectionately desirous of you. Right. Use that this week with somebody. All right. Do that and tell me how it goes for you. But, but Paul does this because that's how he feels. Right? He has become very dear to us. He, he's looking for words to express his affection for them. And this is the best he could do. And, uh, and Paul's a wordsmith. Right? 2.11 to 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted and encouraged you. Right? The closeness he senses for the Thessalonians. And, but 2.17, I'm, I'm cutting into next week's passage, right? But since we were torn away from you, brothers... For a short time, in, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Right? So he's separated from them by force, and he wants to see them. You know, we can relate to that, right? Not being away from other people and wanting to see face to face now. Right? Paul had that feeling. So this letter, when Paul writes it, it was in response to when Timothy, Timothy came back to him 
um, and giving a report about the people of Thessalonica. So last week, Pastor Paul talked about how the Thessalonians were a model of faith for the other Christians in the region. And uh, today in chapter 2, I want to, again, look at the feelings of Paul and the tone of this letter. And, uh, I mean, the words and the meaning is important, but, but sometimes we, it's, it's good to read um, into what the author is feeling, right? because that's a, a big part of being a letter. Right? This genre of letter is very cool. Right? It's not just stating facts for us, but it, it, it gives you the author's emotions and, 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 and tone, and that adds to uh, our reading of it. Right? So what I sense as I read this letter is that Paul is overjoyed and so proud of these new Christians. Right? They're new Christians. Right? Paul was the pioneer missionary going to this place, preached the gospel for the first time they ever heard about Jesus, and that's like two months ago. Right? You've got you to gotta realize that this is incredible. Right? And, uh, and his heart was full of deep affection and love toward these Thessalonians. There's a yearning in his heart to go to see them in person. And the question I want to ask is, why does Paul feel this way? Is it just him? Are we to feel that way to, with other people as well? And, and if, if that is the case, and I hope that is the case, how then can we get this kind of affection for people like Paul had? Right? It can't be. Well, not that it can't be, but I think the answer is it shouldn't be just Paul that has this. Right? God, I, believe, I believe God wants us all to have this kind of affection for other believers and for other people. And the answer for this question is, it stares us in the face in chapter 2. Right? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if not staring you in the face, I'm telling you, it's staring you in the face. Okay? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? In this first 16 verses of chapter 2, Paul used the word gospel four times, not to mention all the allusions to it. So that's what we're going to look at today, the gospel. And what we're seeing in Paul's feelings and tone of the letter is that this is the effect the gospel had on him. All right? The gospel affected Paul in such a traumatic, dramatic, um, fundamental way that this is the effect of it. It shows out in his affection for people. Right? That's why he went to Thessalonica in the first place. Right? God called him to be a missionary. God called him to go, and he went because he loves God. He loves the gospel, and now because of that, he loves the people. We'll talk more about that. So we're going to look at two observations about how Paul viewed the gospel to have that effect on him and how it helps us. Okay? Just two simple things. Right? The gospel to Paul and hopefully to us is precious. And I want that word to linger in your tongue and your mind for the rest of the week at least. Precious. I don't know, I just love that word. And the second, the gospel is power. The gospel is precious. The gospel is power. So, the gospel is of Jesus is precious to Paul. Four quick reasons. Number one, there we go. The gospel is precious because it is a gift from God. It comes from God above. Right? The Father of heavenly lights gives good gifts to his people, and the gospel is the greatest gift from God. Right? Verse 13, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, the gospel, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Right? Paul didn't make this up, the gospel. He received it from God, 
And now his function as the apostle is to give it to other people. Right? God chose him specifically for this purpose. This gospel is a gift from God. He himself received it. Now his job, and like also our job, is to dispense of it as well. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not a, um, what's the word? It's not a zero-sum game, right? The more you give doesn't mean you have less uh, to hold, right? Actually, the more you give, the more you have. Right? It's, not, it's not physics whatsoever, okay? The gospel is beyond physics or chemistry, whatever you like, right? It, it's amazing because it's from God. Second, the gospel is precious because the gospel is Jesus, right? The Christmas story, which we heard about a month ago, Luke 2, angel will claim, I bring you good news of great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Right? This declaration, good news of great joy, right? the word gospel just means good news. Right? The angel is bringing gospel of good news. I mean, gospel of great joy because the Savior has been born. Right? This Jesus is the gospel. And the gospel is precious because Jesus is precious. He is the holy, unique Son of God, Prince of Peace, Lamb of God, also Lion of Judah that we sang about. The gospel is precious because Jesus is precious. And thirdly, the gospel is precious because God paid the highest price to accomplish it. Right? To give us the gospel, God had to give up his greatest treasure, his son, his beloved son. Right? Remember the baptism? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right? This gospel has the highest value because the price to achieve it was the blood of Christ. Is there anything more valuable than that? Oh, oops, sorry. 110 of Thessalonians, which was last week. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right? This Jesus is the deliverer. He is the good news. And also, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him, who is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? The gospel is precious because it costs God his son. It costs Jesus his life. Nothing more precious than that. Fourth, the gospel is precious because it is personal. It's personal. Right? Our God is a personal God. Jesus is a personal Savior. Of course, there's communal aspects to salvation. We will always affirm that. But uh, fundamentally, it is very individual. Do you remember when Paul himself received the gospel, Acts chapter 9? Right? He was doing his thing, persecuting Christians, bringing them to jail, and God, Jesus, intercepts him. Coming down in a blinding light, Jesus confronts Paul. He turned his life around there, actually turned his life upside down. Okay? Jesus saved Paul from himself when he himself didn't know he needed to be saved. He thought he was doing God's thing, going to Damascus. And Jesus confronts him and says, you're not doing my thing. Or you're not doing God's thing, you're doing the opposite. Right? God turns Paul around. His, that is when Paul comes into personal contact with Jesus, and personally received the gospel in him. And Paul will never be the same after that day. 
right? You just read about it. And that's just a tidbit now. It's, the Bible is so cool because the Acts, the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, is like a, is the, uh, is the history. And then the letters are like a running commentary of what happened in Acts. Right? So it's helpful if you read Thessalonians and Galatians and Corinthians along with Acts. But that's, just, that's something else. <clears throat> it's personal, right? It's precious because it's personal. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said this, much later in life, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? That's the gospel. Of whom I am the worst, the foremost, right? NIV has the worst. And that's an amazing thing for Paul to say, right? When we look at Paul, who do we see? This revered saint and missionary and did amazing things that, no, I, I would not hope to accomplish less than 0.1% of what he did. Because you just read that. It's amazing how much he went through. And he calls himself the foremost of sinners. Like, um, like if there was a line to line up, like sinners line up here, Paul says, I'm first of the line. I'm first in line of sinners. And, 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 and this is because Paul, for, for Paul, the gospel is personal. Right? He's blown away by the fact Jesus, the Son of God, would save him and his own life. He was the worst sinner ever. Sometimes we feel that way. Right? We feel we are the worst sinner ever. That God can't possibly love me. But when Paul says this, it's very encouraging. Why? Because if you can love Paul, you can love me. All right? I may be, I'm, sometimes you may feel worse than Paul, but God says, no. I can come for you. Okay? Philippians 3, which I don't have, right? uh, Paul compares knowing Christ and his resurrection to loss. I mean, to, compared to everything else, everything else compared to knowing Christ and his resurrection is rubbish, is loss. He's willing to give, and he has given up everything he achieved in his previous part of his life to know God, to serve God, to know his resurrection. He doesn't care about all those things no more. Because Jesus is more precious. And so Jesus came for Paul in Acts 9, personal way, very personal way. And uh, I believe, and I know you believe too, Jesus still comes for us, comes for us today with the gospel. He comes for us. Maybe not as dramatically, right? He's not going to meet us on the road, blind us, because we, we die because we're driving down highway, right? Don't blind us in the middle of driving, Jesus. But, but he comes for us. He comes for you. You know that when you look at the severity of your sin, like Paul did, and then you see the face of Jesus on the cross dying for you, be blown away. Be blown away every time. Because right? this was and this is my personal experience with Jesus. Right? He came for me too, as unworthy as I am, was, um, you know, I grew up in church for the most part. Since I can remember, my parents brought me to church. And, you know, I'm a smart aleck kid, I guess, know-it-all. Also, I thought, right? But then God confronted me one day, about 13. You think you know all that, but you don't know nothing. You think you're good, but you're the worst sinner ever. That's, at least that's how God con- I was convicted that one stretch of time. But, and when that conviction happened to my heart, 
And someone like Paul on Damascus was struck down. I said, man, the person I thought I was, I'm not. And he revealed to me the sinner I really am. But he doesn't just, real, he doesn't just reveal that you're a sinner. He reveals Jesus, that he saves you from that. And, and the gospel is about when we recognize who Jesus is, when we recognize who we are, and then we embrace Jesus. That's the personal moment that, when you, that you have Jesus, you have the gospel, you are saved by, by him. And, you know, some, for some of us it happens early in life, for some of us it happens later in life, right? And that's God's perfect timing for that. And, uh, but, but either case, whatever the case for you, it's very personal, right? Jesus didn't just die a general death to save people in general, right? That is not the gospel, I believe, and I believe Scripture teaches a particular faith, right? That you are saved particularly, personally. That God and Jesus comes to you. And um, so we'll just stop with it. We'll leave it at that, right? Gospel is precious because it's personal. And uh, so I want you to hold on to this, right? that Jesus is precious. The gospel is precious. And, and, and like Paul, when we hold Jesus dear, he becomes the reason we do anything and any, everything. Right? He becomes the most basic motive for all our ac- actions, all our activities. And, or he should be. And for Paul, everything he did with these Thessalonians was out of his uh, affection for the gospel. Right? He holds the gospel dear. He holds Jesus dear. That's precious. And prayer for myself, prayer for you, is that we would do the same, that we'll hold these things precious, and that it'll move us to act. Right? So transitioning to the, from there, from the gospel is precious to the gospel is power. And just off the bat, I want to say, you know, the gospel is power because the gospel is precious. Right? That's where the power comes from. When you hold the gospel precious, you will experience the power of that gospel. And Paul knows this. Paul felt it. Paul's experiencing it throughout his uh, post-Acts 9 life. Right? Paul knows this gospel power to be supernatural. It's, it's what we know as resurrection power, the same power that raised you from the dead. It's power, first of all, I'm going to highlight, it's the power to save. We already highlighted that Paul was saved by this gospel of Jesus. And Paul wrote in, first, in, in Romans 1, the, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? It is a power to save, to save everyone. And to one of the first Thessalonians, for you yourself know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. Not in vain. That means the gospel is, not, it is very effective. It is powerful and effective. Power of the gospel is the power that transforms hearts that turned Paul, that turned these Thessalonians who once worshipped idols, now worship the living and true God. And this is the gospel with power that can save a sinner like Paul. That means everyone else, including me, is eligible. Right? There is no sin so great that God's gospel in Jesus cannot save. Okay? So, 
If somebody's telling you, or there's a voice in your head that says, you're such a bad sinner, you, this particular sin is so bad, God can't save you. You're not worth saving. That's the devil's lie. Right? You hear this in Scripture. Right? There's God's power through the gospel is effective. Right? It can save you from any, every sin. Right? You just have to believe. So that's power to save. Second power, gospel's power to love. Um... Knowing and having the love of Christ in us enables us to love one another. And we see this in chapter 2, right? And what happens in the gospel is Jesus makes fellow believers brothers and sisters in him, right? And for those who, you know, people sitting next to you, across from you, in front of you, right? Um, they're your brother or your sister. Why? Because, and they're, and they're important because, and you can love them because you know Christ died for them too. Right? They're as unworthy of it as you, but Christ died for them too. Right? You're not any more or less worthy of God's love. Neither are they with you. So, the, this means the gospel has the power to make, help us love even those whom we once were enemies with. Right? Because Christ died for them. Am I too good that I can't forgive people God can forgive? Right? God forbid. And... Um, and so it's part of love, part of forgive, and it's a, it is a very deep love. Right? And the best analogy Paul comes up with is with family. Right? When he relates to the Thessalonians in verse 7, he calls himself, them, like a mother nursing their child. That's how they're treating these Thessalonians, because they were babies in the, in the gospel. Right? So they came, they came to feed, they came to nurture, and that's what Paul's job was, right? as a mother nursing them. And then he talks about being a father, exhorting them in verse 11, right? That's, that's the next step in growth, right? As a baby, you can't really exhort babies because right? they just, you know, they just look back at you drooling. That's it, right? As, but as they grow old, uh, you can exhort them because they understand you, okay? And that's what we do too in Sunday school and, and adults and, and youth group, right? We exhort because you understand stuff now. Hopefully, we don't have to keep treating you like babies to nurse and to cuddle and all that. Although, that's, no, that's nice. But, but again, this progression. And, of course, verse 1, verse 9, verse 14, Paul calls them brothers and sisters. And, of course, Paul uses these words, affectionately desirous. Again, I challenge you to use that this week of you. It's easy because I have children. I can just use it alone. Right? They're subject to everything I do to them. Right? And this power to love... Uh, means we're willing to extend ourselves to love other people. Right? That's what it means when Paul says to share of ourselves. Sometimes loving people is not convenient. Right? Oftentimes loving people is not convenient. Right? But that's what it means to love, right? Love when it's not convenient, because otherwise it's just whatever. But no, Christ's love, is, Christ's gospel is the power to love because it enables you to love when it costs you. Right? And, um, and the, the, the amount it costs reveals the amount of love. So, power to love. Oh, I want more. Two, five, six, four. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, and this tells us 
also love. Why? Because Paul came and ministered to the Thessalonians purely out of love. He wanted nothing materially, physically in return from them. And he expected nothing in return. He expected no return. I don't know what else to say. Right? He said he could have asked for it as an apostle. And some, some other preachers who go around, they do expect it, right? They expect to be housed and fed and paid. But Paul says, no, I worked, I toiled. And we'll, actually, we'll talk about that later. Um, he had no artillery motives coming to the Thessalonians, no hidden personal agenda. He came to serve them and not gain something from them. Right? And that is love, to give of yourself to other people. And that can only happen when the gospel has gripped you. And that is the power of the gospel. It enables us to love in this way. Um, it is not a natural thing to love that way. And then, that's uh, only third. Okay. Gospel is power to act. Um, meaning, it, it gives us the motivation to act. Right? And, oh, I think I already talked about it. Um, Two, four, just as you've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts, all right? So Paul's doing this motivated by the gospel only by God. And two, nine, for you, remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while to proclaim the gospel to you, right? So Paul and Silas, they worked, like they, they did labor so that they won't have to be financially a burden to them, right? That's how much Paul loved the Thessalonians. They didn't want to burden them although he could have, and he could have claimed that authority. He didn't. Out of, motivated by love, Paul did. All right, quickly, quickly, for the power, the gospel's power to endure. Power to endure. The, gospel, the power of the gospel is what enabled Paul to endure a lot. Right, 2-2 gives you a, a glimpse of one of the sufferings, right? But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Right? He suffered greatly in Philippi, and yet he kept pushing on. He pushed on because the gospel is power to push on. And if you read Acts, you know what happened to Philippi. Was, Philippi was right before he did go to Thessalonica. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas cast out a demon from a slave girl, and they got in big trouble for it. All right? There's a riot. They got arrested. They got beat up and went to jail. Right? Unjustly got beat up bad. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's how they were mistreated there. And, and also, they know, these Thessalonians know, that they had to be snuck out in the middle of the night from that city because they were being chased. Right? So Paul, willing to endure these trials for these people, it wasn't for himself. It was for these Thessalonians. And, and the gospel is what gave Paul the power to endure. And the last, fifthly, um, power to hope for eternity. And I'll save that for future sermons because Thessalonians, the rest of it, much of the last of it is uh, about um, things in the future. So I'll save that for other speakers. So in conclusion... The gospel is precious. The gospel is powerful. And the gospel is powerful because it is so precious. And you know, I can stand here and tell you for another two, three, four, five hours 
that the gospel is precious and powerful until I'm blue in the face, but it's not going to do much more good, right? Unless it is true for you. Right? You must believe it. You must make that determination. You must hold Jesus precious and the gospel precious. I can't do that for you. I can't do that for my son. And my prayer is that they, my children would, would hold Jesus dear. And, and you know, sometimes you, as a parent, you want to do that for them, but that's not the how gospel works. They got to do it. All I can do is tell them, hopefully in a nice way, you know, and, and, and encourage them and, 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 and nurture them all the way and maybe be an example for them. Um, you know, I was... Uh, you know where you see the gospel being held dear and precious? Where the gospel and Jesus are being held precious at the, in the persecuted church. I was watching a recent video from the Gospel Coalition. Maybe Pastor Paul has seen it. It's, it's titled, How to Suffer Well, Lessons from the Church in China. And it's a panel discussion, three people from the U.S. who works with this organization called China Partnership, who works with you know, house church leaders in China trying to support them and encourage them. And they were just sharing their talks with certain house church leaders in China when, you know, when they talked with them. So they were sharing, um, they were interviewing so that they can come back to the States and, and encourage the Christians here by what they are learning there from their persecutions and things like that. And some of them have been arrested already. Some of them have gone to prison for years and came back out. And, and among other things, right? The government there can do other things besides just imprison you. And, uh, and all because they worship Jesus. Or they choose to worship Jesus the way the Bible tells them to worship Jesus, not the way the government tells them to worship Jesus. So, and what you hear from these leaders is they're not afraid. Right? Because that, that's the power of the gospel, to make them not afraid when, when I'm afraid for them. Right? The government says, don't preach, don't witness, don't evangelize. And, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Right? That's me. But they said, no, Jesus tells me I have to. I'm, I have to. I can't listen to government. Right? They're not afraid of unjust government. They're not afraid of the persecution because Jesus is dear, more dear than the government or the threat, right? And, and for them, it only works. This only happens because the Jesus is more precious. Now, even under threat, they say, they're unwavering in their evangelism and discipleship at church planting. Right? They will not negotiate on these three things because they believe that's the that's the, the, the job God has called them to do where they are at. And so even this one guy, you know, he gives thanks when he gets, he gets carted off to prison, right? Because in the car ride, he can talk to the cops. And in jail, he gets to talk to drug dealers. Where else are you going to get to talk to drug dealers? It's, it's, it's amazing. But that's only power, possible because of the power of the gospel. And these Christians embrace it. The gospel only works when you recognize it and then you embrace it. Right? Before, I guess when I was a kid, I listened to, I hear the gospel day, week in, week out, right? Because I go to church, I go to Sunday school, and I hear it. It makes sense, right? So I, 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 I know the truth of it in my mind, but it never really clicked until Jesus, like, meets me. Right? That's when we, I recognize it, and when I'm, um, embraced it. And the pr my prayer for all of us is that we would embrace it. 
And oh, one more thing uh, for these Chinese Christian leaders. Right, their response to persecution is, you know, how do you feel about this? And uh, they say, they thank God for the persecution. Why? Because it's an opportunity for them to repent of their sin. So, whoa, what do you mean repent of their sin? They say, well, it's, this, this persecution is God's refining fire for them. That, um, you know, that the Christian life should not be easy. And that they've been chasing the wrong thing inadvertently or, or subconsciously even. Like they've been chasing what they call the American middle class life. And then when God sends persecution, it's to drive that desire away. So, wow, so convicting. That's me, right? I'm, 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 I'm a victim, so to speak, to the middle class American life. And then persecution is God's refining fire, right? That challenges our perspective on things, right? That they hold Jesus much more dear than I do. I can't deny that. And and my prayer, and hopefully our prayer, is that God would teach us, help us to hold this precious. And, you know, you've got to be careful when you pray that, right? Because that might come in the form of persecution. So I was going to do something else, but I don't have time. And uh, just quickly, um, this was a tough sermon for me to prep, right? Because a lot of this last two weeks, I didn't feel that the gospel of Jesus was precious. Right? So follow-up is, what, happens, what do we do then if we don't feel Jesus is precious? That's a talk for another time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word in Thessalonians. We thank you for the life of Paul, of how much you've affected him, how you changed him with your gospel, how you changed him with your confrontation with him on that road. We thank you, God, that you also confront us when we were blindly walking our own way, not knowing that we're walking away from you, God, you confront us, you tell us to turn, and you welcome us. You change us, you give us new life. Help us to see that this precious, that this gospel is precious, that this gospel is powerful. And Lord, help us to recognize it and to embrace it, and help us to live it this week. Thank you, God, for your words. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.